Welcome back to the 34th episode of Chess Journeys, Tales of Adult Improvement. Here on Chess Journeys, we don't just seek to highlight the gains of ratings, growth, but we also look to go into the plateaus and the pits of despair. Wherever you are, this is the show for you. If you want to support the show, you can go to Patreon Chess Journeys. Uh, every little bit counts and helps so much for your support. I'd like to thank our queen-level supporters, Terry King, Andrew Perry, Jay Tuttle, Jay Garrison, Donna Rich Burgess, Brandon Hellside, and Brent Huddleston. If you want to catch me streaming, you can go to Dr. Skull underscore Tiny Grimes. I must warn you, it's not overly exciting. I tend to go over games slowly and methodically. Uh, I'd like to thank Chessable for sponsoring the stream. Uh, we are on 63 days and counting on my current streak. I don't know when it'll get broken. Probably not soon because I'm working on the woodpecker method. If you want to support the show further, you go to aim chess, try it out, put in the code Dr. Skull 30. And now the most important part of the show, I bring in our guest this week, Megan. She's an adult improver from Chicago. She's 27. She's a database engineer, and she is here to share with us her journey. And Megan, have you played any chess yet today? Um, not, to, not, not today specifically, since uh, I just had a tournament uh, this past weekend at the U.S. Amateur Team North in the Chicago suburbs. So uh, I basically just treated today just as a rest day off. But hey, sometimes we need those, right? Yeah, that's for sure, especially after yeah. a long tournament. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. I didn't know that the tournament was in Chicago this year. It was not in the city of Chicago, but it was in uh, Schaumburg, to be exact, which is about like uh, 30 to 40 minutes uh, northwest of the city, depending on traffic. Yeah, I grew up in Naperville, so right, oh, cool. right around the corner. That's okay. a funny coincidence, because that was where I was born. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I didn't know our stars aligned so much. <laughs> All right, Megan. Well, before we get too far, why don't you give us your current situation? It sounds like you do have a career. I don't know if you have any children, what the rest of your life is like, but what, what's going on in your world? Yeah, so um, career-wise, uh, right now I work uh, at a, uh, at a uh, mar email marketing automation company called uh, Active Campaign. Uh, I've been there since uh, January 2019, where I um, had, uh, had been working uh, both in uh, the product engineering and the reliability engineering departments. Uh, since uh, May of last year, I recently transitioned from product engineering into, um, into the platform platform slash reliability engineering department. So now my uh, current engineering work mostly uh, focuses on uh, databases. Hmm. Okay. Do you use your database work and knowledge at all in your chess work or are these like separate entities? Well, I would say that, um, well, programming and uh, let's, let's first say this. Uh, pro I feel that programming and chess definitely have a lot of parallels because of the problem solving and calculation process that it takes to, um, well, not only write code, but also to like come up with um, variations over the chessboard to be able to calculate as uh, candidate moves and then therefore candidate variations and then ultimately um, the decision that you make. Uh, and uh, the same thing also, uh, and another key thing that uh, I particularly found, uh, uh, find very rewarding about um, reliability engineering in particular is uh, the importance of resilience. That is something that um, my, uh, my previous manager has um, taught, uh, taught me and emphasized a lot. And um, my current manager also embraces that very heavily. And so do um, many of my colleagues. And uh, I would say that well, the power of resilience also certainly helps with the uh, uh, helps with the um, overcoming of chess struggles because it's important to be able to not only uh, recognize uh, recognize the facts that you have setback, setbacks, but also work towards uh, trying to reduce the setbacks and recover from them whenever they happen in chess. Not only yeah. in terms of uh, improving your own chess, but also um, saving uh, worse positions in actual games too yeah that's my so there's a lot of uh, real i would say that's one big uh, prime example of how um real how there is a big uh, real world parallel between uh what i do in my day-to-day -day, uh work life and also um with chess too gotcha so you're seeing a lot yeah. of overlap there of course okay. well let's go all the way back to the beginning what is your origin story did you play as a little kid did you um, start playing in you know teenage adult years where does your journey begin yeah so um I learned to play chess 
when I was not sure exactly how old, but I think somewhere around like seven or eight, maybe. Uh, at that time, I my parents bought me my first chess set. It wasn't anything super fancy. Uh, it was just like uh, it was it was just something that came from a random trip to the um, toys section of a um, Kmart shop or something like that, where uh, my parents bought me a, a board game set that consisted of um, several different board games, chess being included. And so um, when I one day at home, when I was uh, as a kid, when I was fiddling around with all the different board games uh, and chess uh, ended up becoming one of them, um, that ended up being the board game that I felt uh, most interested in out of um, all the other ones that are there, including checkers and backgammon and Chinese chess and all that sort of stuff. Or sorry, not Chinese chess, Chinese checkers and uh, River C or something like that. So um, I learned at that time, I was just well learning the basic rules, including um, how the pieces moved and uh, check and checkmates and uh, not, uh, not really anything involving um, basic tactics or even openings. So I remember those days I was just randomly pushing pawns like A3, B3, C3, <laughs> et cetera, on the first couple moves. Uh, and uh, well, Back then, um, I so back then I was just kind of like you know experimenting with the different uh, board games until like fast forward a couple years later, um, I uh, came across a um, library came across a school the a, a library program at my um, local library that was completely free and uh, they had just uh, they had a mix of um, open chess play as well as uh, free lessons from some like more experienced uh, players. Most of those more experienced players were um, particularly specialized with helping children. So um, that was a good fit. And so I uh, ended up um, being a part of that. And uh, I ended up um, do, uh, uh, ended up um, playing some games and learning more than just the basic rules on how the pieces moved. Um, I ended up also like browsing the chess book section of the library and picking up um, some very basic uh, tactics like learning the pin and the fork and the skewer and all that good stuff mm. uh, back then. Um, cool. And that, that was prior to um, my USCF uh, tournament days. I entered mm -hmm. my first USCF tournament uh, when I was in, I think sixth grade or something. Yeah, sixth grade um, in, in 2000, seven uh so and uh how long I, is that into your journey is that about four years into your journey something like that i'm sorry for uh, was it about four years into your journey when you did your first uscf tournament um i wouldn't say like a full four years because uh well back when i was first learning to play it was just like at mm. for very brief spurts of time okay. so it wasn't anything full-time or anything super dedicated or super committed level so uh, when I was playing, um, when I was starting my, out my first uh, USCF rated tournament back in sixth grade, I um, came out with a starting rating of about it was low 700s. Okay. Um, and so uh, I played Scholastic Chess in monthly uh, Knight's Quest tournaments um, mm -hmm. in, in, in a reserve under a thousand section. Uh, and I, my rating basically uh, ranged between 700 to 900, uh, something. And I played for about like one and a half years in middle school. But um, unfortunately, uh, circumstances just involving my parents wanting me to try um, other kinds of activities at that age, at that period of time, uh, took me away from the game. And uh, unfortunately, I never came back to it again um until december 2015 oh wow so that's really interesting so you played in some tournaments in sixth grade did you play against any adults or were they all scholastic events um so for the uscf rated tournaments uh themselves uh they were uh, those sections were scholastic only so um only k-12 student uh, only k-12 students but um people that i uh did some like casual games with at the library. And also um, I forgot to mention this earlier, but I also did like a, a fourth and fifth grade chess club that was also very casual and some very um, basic 101 level puzzles and stuff covering like super basic pins, fork skewers type tactics mm. uh, in like very casual level type of play. Uh, 
I did, uh, did all that there. But um, yeah, but the, basically at that time, my only experience playing adults was whenever I saw adults playing at the local library. Sure. That's yeah. cool. So it sounds like you're, uh, you weren't super dedicated in middle school. You were having fun. You read a couple books. You read some tactics stuff. Um, and then a break until 2015. So what brought you back in 2015? Yeah, so in 2015, um, uh, I uh, played my first uh, tournament as an adult in uh, December 2015. That was about a month after I um, got my first full-time job um, post-college mm -hmm. life and uh, moved uh, out of my parents' house to live independently. So um, after like about a month of appreciating the new, the, the relieving difference of um, free time between college life where you're just buried every single day and every single week with so much homework and exams to study for and all that crap um, to full, uh, full time um, working adult life where you only need to work during the day before the for the most part, and like the rest of the time outside of work is yours to um, figure out what you want to do with your life. So with all that, I figured, well, I was getting bored with um, staying at home for uh, uh, for most of my time. Back then, um, prior to the chess, I didn't really go out that much. I was kind of just like a very um, bored lady at home most of the time. And so I wanted, so I figured at that point, hey, I wanted to um, pursue a hobby. So I kind of just like, well, one day reflected on things that um, I wish that I uh, got more of a chance to do as a kid. And uh, chess ended up being one of them. So that brought me to my first tournament um, back to a USCF rated tournament play um, as an adult in December 2015. I played in some um, small five round game 30 tournament uh, in Barrington, I believe. Uh, when, uh, I'm not, I don't remember exactly if it was Barrington exactly, but well, one of the suburbs of Chicago. Um, at that time I uh, was, you know, rated in, in the 900s, but was also um, very, very rusty. So um, in my first couple of tournaments uh, after coming back to USCF Rated Play as an adult, uh, I kind of struggled a bit, even though um, there were some, uh, some moments where I was getting um, better positions uh, against players of similar rating. Um, there were some points in which I uh, blundered in time trouble or even flagged. I remembered flagging against um, some 1,000 rated kid in um, my first tournament back in December 2015. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I also remembered um, the, something pretty embarrassing in my second tournament uh, back also in December 2015, where I lost a game um, on the black side of a King's Gambit in, I think, less than 20 moves and, and in less than 30 minutes against a 600 rated player. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so but, I mean, I did have a, I did not have a repertoire against the Kings back back then um, on the black side, so I was kind of just yeah. winging it. And um, well, winging sharp openings, as we now as I now know these days, is pretty dangerous. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So it sounds like you thought I want to go back into chess, and instead of playing online and stuff, you just went to an over the board tournament. Is that correct? Back then, I've That's done cool. like occasional puzzles where I could on um, chess.com or some mm -hmm. other, can't remember exactly, some probably some like older or like less frequently used chess sites that had puzzles and stuff, mm -hmm. uh, mostly just to kind of like shake the rust off, but um, still determines really reveals um, how much uh, how, how much rust I truly had to shake off. <laughs> So you go to your first couple tournaments and it sounds like it didn't crush your spirit, but instead it motivated you. So what was sort of your plan after going to these first couple tournaments? Did you think I'm going to dive in, I'm going to start studying, or you're just kind of like, I'm going to tournaments, hanging out, having a good time. So um, that uh, former, uh, that um, letter mentality that you mentioned about going to tournaments and having a good time, that, uh, uh, that was the, um, that was my mentality, my core mentality for like most of like my first couple of tournaments for let's say the first uh, month or so. But then after that, I kind of felt like, hey, 
I just feel sick and tired of getting crushed by um, small kids and where there are like so few adults who are um, less than, uh, who are weaker than like a thousand USDF strings. And I feel terrible being a um, small fish um, stuck in a big pond. Mm. So um, at that point, I figured, well, um, I wanted to improve. And uh, so back then I, started uh doing game annotate uh, game annotations and posting them uh on facebook uh quite uh, quite a lot and um i uh when i was posting on facebook uh eventually after i was doing that for uh, a good number of tournaments and i got a lot of very very nice very kind input from um strong players in the Chicago area. Um, I not only felt very welcomed and appreciated because people were um, observant of how much I wanted to um, work and improve, uh, but I also that also um, ultimately after a couple of analysis sessions and postings um, led me to um, hiring my first coach. Hmm, okay, so you had a coach pretty early then. Yeah, um, I started working with my first coach in uh, February of 2016. Okay, and did your coach sort of like give you homework, lay out a repertoire? What what was your process looking like then? Did you have a certain amount of hours a week you were trying to work on chess or were you just having fun, getting better? Yeah, so um, back then when I was uh, under, uh, when I was like ranging in the 900 to, 900 to 1000 range USCF uh, back then, my coach started me off by putting uh, the core emphasis of his lessons with me on um, tactics and like making sure that I understood um, not only like the basic um, single step uh, motifs like pins, forks, skewers removing the guard and all and all that good stuff uh but also um very simple calc- simple surface level calculation maybe like two three moves ahead or something like that mm-hmm. um and uh in addition of course he uh dedicated a lot of time reviewing my games and uh, i have to say he is a, a very great commentator and analyzer when it comes to reviewing students games or even commentating on other games that are not his own games or his students' games. Mm-hmm. And um, if for those those wondering who my coach is, um, uh, who, uh, who that, uh, that first coach was and still currently is, um, that's expert Ryan Murphy from uh, Wisconsin. Um, he's currently rated uh, somewhere in the mid 2000s uh, USCF right now. Um, and uh, his FIDE rating is like, I think, 1900 something but honestly I feel like it should be higher <laughs> so um even if like my rating gets to um 2000 I still still see a good future with him okay that's really interesting so you're not thinking like hmm, I need to trade up to an IM now or something like that well I additionally I actually also have um an IM as a coach so okay. as of right now I uh, work with um a total of two coaches so in addition to uh expert Ryan Murphy I also work with um, two-time U.S. women's champion, Nazi Pekidzi. Hmm, cool. I started working with her back in uh, 2017 when a friend of of mine who also was a student of Nazis back then uh, referred me to her. And uh, that's how our coach and student relationship started. What do you think is the benefit of having multiple coaches? I think... um, it, it provide uh, it provides um, the opportunity for one to be able to see different perspectives between um, two coaches in terms of um, we in terms of analyzing uh, my weaknesses in my play and strengths of my play and also um, preferences with regards to um, playing styles or opening choices because well yeah, even though um, two ch- uh, two chess players of such coaching caliber may um have the same general principles with regards to like what it takes to become a better um player especially like you know at the class level um at some point also and also because well no two chess players are exactly the same kinds of people um their different styles may also um may also give them um more inclination to uh look at things uh one way or another Sure. Awesome. Okay. And so you like one, got, here's one, one, yeah, one good example. On. I know um, 
um, uh, my coach Ryan is uh, very good at end games. And so because he's very good at end games, that also, um, I believe, consequently has uh, made his lessons uh, more end game heavy in comparison. Mm -hmm. okay. um, so you've got your initial coach, you're getting serious. What does your initial ratings jump look like? Like how long does it take you to get out of that uh, little fish thousand playing little kids pools? It happened pretty quick or did it take a while? How does that go for you? Yeah, so um, with regards to my rating climb, um, I was basically stuck in the 900s to a thousands range until uh, the spring of 2016. Hmm. And then um, I think in uh, summer, uh, late late summer slash early fall in that same year, I um, hit uh, 1400. Oh. And at the end of 2016, um, I broke 1500 for the first time. Interesting. So it sounds like it took a little while for the mm -hmm. rating to move, but then when it did, it, it had, it had a big jump. It didn't just kind of like trickle by 50 points every month. Or yeah. Something. Yeah. And additionally in uh, 2017, um, I man in 2017, I also managed to, um, break, uh, also man managed to break, um, 1600 for the first time in late, uh, late summer. Nice. So it sounds like in a pretty quick, and also, period, you... um, 1700, not long after that, <laughs> Wow. <laughs> but then, and after my initial, um, climb to 1700, I never, uh, dropped back down below 1700 <laughs> for some Ooh. reason. Nice. So. What did you do that allowed you to pick up, say, two, three hundred points in such a quick amount of time? Can you let us know, like, did you have a, a weekly goal? Was it just working with your coach? Were there any books or resources you were using that really helped propel you? Oh, yes, absolutely. And um, there are some key books that I, uh, I would absolutely love to recommend to um, the chess community. Awesome. So. Um, for tactics and, uh, I did definitely did a lot of, um, tactics and calculation heavy work, um, to improve my ability to recognize basic intermediate and sometimes whenever I can advanced patterns in chess, uh, and such books include, uh, uh so, uh, such books include, um, Jay Bonin's, uh, active pieces book. Um, which has uh, which has not only some of um, Jay Bonin's best games, but also uh, a, a very nice selection of um, tactical puzzles for, uh, and calculation puzzles from his own games at the uh, end of the book. Right. And another uh, key book that I uh, spent a lot of time working with was um, Practical Chess Exercises by uh, Ray Chang. It, mm. And I started that book... Um, Sometime in 2017, I believe. Can't remember exactly, but um, I dedicated uh, a good amount of time each day to work on that book and eventually um, finished that chess book in whole. Uh, so that's one, uh, one book in addition to Active Pieces in which I finished the um, puzzle, the puzzles collection sections of those books in their entirety. That's the um, book where you don't know what kind of puzzle it is, right? It could just be a yes, positional puzzle. Exactly. It could be yeah. a tactic. Okay. Yeah, that's Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's a good thing because, yeah. you know, in real game situations, you're not told what kind of motif is at the board. You're not told that there is a tactic. You're not told <laughs> is your position better or worse or, or is something where you have to, like, try to save a draw in what would otherwise be a worse position. So you have to just figure out, like, what the theme is that you're looking for and then consequently like figure out the best moves on the board. Yeah. That happened to me the other day, Megan, I had a game where mm -hmm. I thought we were fighting over a pawn on E4 and my mm -hmm. opponent thought we were fighting over a pawn on E4 and all my pieces were lined up at the King and I could have just mated them. And that, you oh know, my goodness. Yeah, they moved their, their last <laughs> defender away the night. And when I put it and I'm going through the engine, I'm like, I wonder if I could have defended that square better. And it was like, hello, you're winning by eight right now. Just, just sack the piece. And I was like, oh my goodness. And if you had just said, Megan, hey, Kevin, here's a puzzle. There's a tactic here. I would have easily solved it. It was the easiest tactic ever. But in the middle of a game, I let it slide away and it destroys me to this moment that I couldn't find it. Okay, so oh, we've yeah. got two puzzle books. What yeah, else have we got, Megan? There's a third book that I would love to mention. Um, there's also uh, this book by uh, Maxime Bloke called Combinative Motifs. It is another massive leap um tyrannosaurus uh, rex style large large book 
Um, but it has a 1,205 no, 1, tactical positions grouped by um, different topics. It's, uh, I know uh, my coach has told me that it's intended for players who are rated above like 1600 for the most part, but he had, hmm. uh, uh, Coach Ryan had me start working on that book uh, as homework um, during uh, mid-2016. And I think that hmm. uh, that book has definitely uh, been a rewarding journey to go through. Interesting. Okay, so we've yeah. got a bunch of combinations, tactics, any strategy books or ending books or opening books, anything like that? Um, so I have a, uh, so I have a copy of, um, Sil uh, Silman's endgame manual and I've done, um, uh, and I've done some of the, uh, puzzles and exercises from there, but, uh, haven't, uh, but recently I've been, uh, kind of rusty with those and haven't really reviewed them as much as I should in a long time. So, um, that's definitely something that, uh, should be revisited because I feel that, um, not, I feel that, uh, if one can be really good at endgames that, often can be a very dangerous weapon for crushing like really any class player or really any amateur player who's not yet a master. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That, that was me before. You could crush me easily in any end game. And now I feel like I've gotten better, except for I lost an easy end game today, Megan. It was brutal. Mm, yikes. It was brutal. It was brutal. Um, well, speaking of end games, um, no. I had an opponent uh, lose against me from a uh, better rook and pawn endgame this weekend at uh, amateur team north because not uh, not only um was he i guess blitzing out the moves but i guess maybe he just didn't really know some fundamentals really well mm, interesting that's always fun yeah well we'll come back to the amateur team north i definitely want to circle back to that uh but so so we have your initial run you hit about 1700 uh do you keep and i cracked 1800 in um trying to remember yeah uh, i cracked and i the first the very first time that i cracked 1800 was in uh late i, I think late uh 2017 so mm. uh, i believe early november to be exact okay so it's still an upward climb does it ever stop are you a grandmaster now or what what happened no, it is not like a very easy, uh, easy climb from there. So, uh, in, uh, so in, um, 2017, like in the, for the remainder of 2017, I kind of, uh, uh, I, I kind of slumped for a little bit back to the 1700s, but fortunately that did not last long. And then, so I was, uh, back to 1800, not long after that. Nice. Then through, um, 2018, um, I basically kind of went, up and down, up and down through the 1800s zone. And in uh, the, however, until in the summer of 2018, I uh, reunited with uh, National Master Balin Lee, a close college friend of mine. And we paired up in the um, mixed double, uh, as a mixed doubles team for the National Open that year. And I decided to play up in the uh, under 2100 section. And I was glad that he was not pissed off for asking me, why don't you play the under 1900 section as an 1800 player? Well, um, believe it or not, even though we didn't end up winning any money for the mixed doubles, uh, it still was a strong tournament for um, me personally, because not only did I get to, well, hang out with him and recommit and uh, catch up with him after not having seen, seen him in person for a long time, but uh, I also um broke 1900 for the first time um at that wow. too. nice all right so you get all the way up to 1900 and yeah but that was only like a momentary peak um okay. my uh, my peak rating back then was uh 1909 so it's like you know just barely at that mm -hmm. so basically but i mostly fluctuated in the 1800s rating band for the majority of the time uh in 2018 until um in late 2018 through um early 2019 i had some personal uh personal circumstances that uh made it harder for me to work on my chest or maintain my um emotional stability my general emotional well-being and so yeah. i um plummeted to the 1700s for um some period of time and it took a couple of tournaments to um get uh, get back up but um, I will say that it, it, it would not have been possible thanks to um, uh, thanks to um, my uh, romantic partner at that time. Mm. Yeah, it is so challenging how real world stuff can really affect your chest. Like if I ever try to sit down at a board and anything chaotic is going mm -hmm. on in my life, yes, it's just so absolutely. hard to push it all out. You're doing great. And then hour three, it starts creeping in and you're like, no, 
no, not right now. I'll worry about you later. Yeah, it can be really challenging. So you were able to, were you just not putting in much chest time then as well during that period? Yeah, I was definitely not putting as much chest time as I yeah. um, wanted to at that time. Gotcha. And okay, also sweet. just like you were saying about uh, when many things are circling around in your mind, when you're sitting down at the board during a real tournament, it's harder to focus. Yeah. And when it's harder to focus, um, that also, for me personally, it resulted in a lot of extra clock consumption and I got into time trouble more easily. And um, that was already a habit, a bad habit of mine that I have historically <laughs> been trying to work on for a while. Yeah, you can't make that habit even worse. Okay, <laughs> so you have some challenging times. Um, have you worked through it? Have you been able to reclaim those rating points? Yeah, so um, in uh, 2019, uh, yes, I was able to uh, reclaim those rating points, um, and it took uh, it took some like up and down battles, of course, um, with some some obstacles, uh, some uh, some notable obstacles, including um, underrated children, <laughs> and that still <laughs> obviously applies today. Um, back then. Uh, and there were also quite a number of tournaments in which I have uh, played, quote unquote, down, basically where, like, let's say, for example, as an 1800, uh, as uh, like a 1700 player playing in an under 1800 section or an 1800 player playing in an, in an under 1900 section. Yeah. Uh, and uh, well, there's also the, uh, there's also uh, the other psychological factor that I feel is not necessarily my strong points and I'm trying to work on better um which is uh perseverance or um just uh emotional endurance too in tournaments especially mm -hmm. and that especially is very important for uh longer tournaments especially uh more, ones that last for more than five rounds because many people can agree that in America chess tournaments that last for five rounds and have a long time control let's say game 90 increment 30 for example they really take a hell lot of mental toll on you. Oh yeah. Try six rounders, try seven rounders, try the nine round world open or norm events. Those are even more tiring. <laughs> uh, I, here's an admission. I'll at least once every game, I'm like, <laughs> why am I doing this? And it's such oh, yeah. a weird thing. Like I'm in the middle of calculating a line. And then this little voice goes, why are you even here? Like, what's the point of all this? And I have to be like, stop it voice i'm in the middle of the tournament we can assess my life later uh, i don't know if you, if you have that at all but it's it's a weird uh issue that i deal with oh yeah i i, I can totally relate to that yeah it especially was when uh, i played at the american open in uh, over thanksgiving it was like 90 percent kids and, and i'm looking around this tournament like what is happening how how did my life take this turn where there are 90 percent kids at this event i'm at I thought I felt like I snuck into a scholastic event or something. And they were like, no, it's fine. You drove here. You know, you might as well play. Um, switching gears to the to the amateur team north. Were there a lot of kids at that event or was it mostly an adult event? Oh, my goodness. It was a kid fest. I have to say. <laughs> it was a kid fest. It was so extreme to the point where um, so in, a pre in the previous years before COVID-19, I would have to say that uh, whenever I've participated in the U.S. Amateur Team North, I feel that like, okay, there are more kids than adults, sure, but the number of adults was not overly small before COVID. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, in, uh, but this year in Amateur Team North, the number of adults was not only so small, but the number of senior teams in the entire tournament and uh, was there was only one senior team in the entire tournament of like, I think almost 80 teams. And usually there were a lot more than there were more than that. I mean, hmm. not, not more than 10, but um, definitely yeah. more than I would say five. So did they automatically win the prize for top senior team? Yeah, because I mean, hey, if you if they're the only senior team and they're the only team that qualify for that prize, then yeah, they won it. Wow. Uh, so how did your experience go? I, I've only played uh, like 18 years ago. I played and I played in the amateur team West once. How was your experience this year at the amateur team North? Yeah, so um, this year I decided to take it for a little bit of a spin, uh, of a different kind of spin compared to um, past years. Because in the past years, I've always played in the uh, under 2200 section. So mm. 
the U.S. Amateur Team North, unlike the U.S. Amateur Team East or West or uh, South, uh, they have two sections because of uh, because I guess the organizer wanted um, the people to be able to face uh, closer competition and less uh, uh, less extreme in different style pairings. Yeah. So um, this year, I wanted to like do something different that um, I didn't do in past years and do an under 1600 team thinking, okay, why don't I try for like a top overall award rather than just like a top um, class prize award or a top mixed mm. doubles award, which is what I've um, usually tried to um, gun for in the past. And so um, because of like how much buzz there was about Amateur Team North and also the Twitter chess community and chess punks in general, um, I, uh, when Amateur Team North was uh, arriving, I fondly remembered uh, a good buddy of mine, Chris McFadden's um, Twitter post going, chess punk team 2021 mm. uh, or sorry 2022 at gauss 1181 and um a couple other uh, other folks being tagged and then uh, and, and i wrote i finally remember that post and finally remember re re replying i'm so down then a couple of months later um chris reminded me of that idea um <laughs> it was like i was like posting 10 I, uh, eyes, 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 emojis um, in a tweet uh, a couple of weeks before the tournament. And I was like, oh my God, we have to make this happen. So I um, talked to uh, Chris at that time about um, wanting to um, put together a team. And I was also talking to um, a familiar face that you might recognize from having uh, interviewed um, not too long ago, Daniel Lona, who is yeah. Lona Chess on Twitter. Yeah, and he is also doing the Chess Experience podcast, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, so you spent the weekend playing chess with a podcaster, and now you're on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how many, how many times can people say that? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, so I ultimately ended up teaming with Daniel and uh, Chris and, uh, and one of Daniel's friends that he met at a tournament um, in uh, uh, back in uh, September of 2021. His name is Michael Lobracco and his username is Magical Mates on Twitter. So hmm. yeah, fellow chess punks, if you're listening um, and you're looking for cool people to follow on Twitter, follow Magical Mates on Twitter. All right, there you go. That sounds like a really fun team. So did you guys like prep at all as a team since you're all fellow chess punks did you just kind of hang out together have a good time what did that look like um so we didn't do any um preparation a uh, real like chess preparation before the tournament we did spend a couple of um uh, a couple of days trying to um come up with a team name and i figured well hey since we're like an all chess punks team we have to come up with a name that includes chess punks in the team name yeah, um yeah, ultimately sure. we admittedly um we decided on our team name to be chess punks rook and roll Oh, nice. Okay. Like and um, as far as um, other preparations, we were also oh, toying around with some ideas of a co uh, of trying to um, wear a team costume. But unfortunately, um, things kind of uh, things kind of uh, things kind of died down in the discussion on that. I guess because well, life got busy and all that good stuff. Sure. Um, Did you all then, bring like, your chest punch mugs? Uh, oh, sorry. Did you all bring your chess punk mugs? And no, sadly, uh, sadly, no, because um, at the time when uh, Neil Bruce originally released them, we didn't order, we missed out on our chance on ordering them. Oh, and then no. so uh, a couple of days before the tournament, since I am such a stinking procrastinator, I pinged <laughs> Neil Bruce on Twitter being like, where is the store to the chess punk swag? Can we please get some express shipping on some custom chess punk swag for the amateur team North tournament? But unfortunately, we didn't get any good news. But um, still, Neil Bruce, we still love you. We still uh, look forward to the time when um, the chess punk swag shop opens up and we can purchase as much swag as we want. Mm, yeah, yeah, that will, those will be good, good days. Um, how did you guys finish in the tournament? Uh, we finished with uh, three points, uh, three match points out of five. Uh, we started off with a win on Friday night. Uh, then we had a very rough Saturday uh, mm -hmm. with some of us, um, myself included, ruining very good, very good slash better positions, mm -hmm. uh, which also cost some um, individual rating level upsets. 
Uh, and then, uh, however, we did not let, uh, let those setbacks uh, make us give up. So we came back with a vengeance on Sunday and won both of our matches. Uh, we didn't let the fear of underrated high school children kill us. Um, and uh, crazy enough, um, on Sunday, yesterday, uh, uh, on Sunday, both of the teams that we played were both high school teams, both with, uh, both with underrated ratings, um, and we smashed them. Nice. So that ultimately gave us a plus four finish in the tournament, which was uh, which definitely helped us recover our spirits because um, as a team, our average rating was in the um, it's a high 1400s in an under 1600 um, um. amateur team north section. And so we were thinking, hey, with a team average rating like that, we don't want to finish with just an even score or even worse, a minus score. Sure. Well, yeah. Do you feel like having the camaraderie of a team helped you when you, you know, lost a game that you didn't feel like you should have lost? Did that help you having someone who could turn oh, to you? Absolutely, and be a absolutely. Because uh, we uh, we made time for each other to um, hang out in between the rounds during the weekend and uh, relax over meals and stuff, and that always helped. And um, we always uh, we also already started a um, text message group. Um, a couple of weeks prior to the tournament, uh, not only to be able to contact each other about important stuff, um, but we added a lot of banter not too long after we started the text group. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, I find those team tournaments to be so fun. I actually. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Won. And the other thing too, that also really helped was that. So, you know how like at team tournaments, oftentimes when people are only surface level acquaintances or something with yeah. their teammates or um maybe just know of them but are not like best best buddies with them um they would uh, when when they finish their games if they're not the team captain they just pack up their crap and like leave the room <laughs> and yeah. don't care to like watch but this weekend it was a unique um everyone was very dedicated to watching their fellow teammates games uh finish towards the end even if they didn't have to stay for them, even if they were not captain to um, sign the score sheets. Hmm, that's great. Yeah, my, my one experience, uh, our team actually won the event, but it was very much a three friends and me. It was these three 2000 guys that wanted to play in the under 1800 section. So they needed a real scrub to round it out. And at that point I was rated about a thousand. And so the four of us rolled in they won every game and I lost every single game. And then at the end, I got my uh, clock with the inscription about how I was a champion. And I was like, this is the uh -huh. most empty championship <laughs> I've ever won. <laughs> wow. So did you gain a lot of rating points uh, as a result of that? No, because I lost every For, single round. Oh, darn, darn. But like, hey, I was thinking, hey, if you were like an underrated a thousand or something like that, that's always a very dangerous secret dark horse weapon on a bottom board, right? Yeah. And the I other noticed teams that a lot that. in these tournaments. Yeah. The other teams were like, is that guy really 1800? Oh, and then they would oh, watch me start playing and they're like, no, no, he's not. He's actually a thousand. Okay. That's fair. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a good time. Uh, I, I certainly that's enjoyed uh, getting to be. Um, a champion. So what, what has it looked like in the last uh, couple of years for you as, as you have dove back into chess? It sounds like you're back sort of full time. Um, what is your routine like these days? How much time do you spend a week playing chess or studying chess? Yeah, so um, it varies uh, per week depending on how uh, right now uh, in these present days, depending on how, uh, how busy I get with work. Um, in addition, uh, in addition um, for my current uh, role as a database engineer, I also had to be on an on-call rotation every um, uh, every four every four weeks. Soon, soon it will eventually be every five weeks because a new coworker has joined my team. So that should hopefully reduce the um, amount of burden of either working late or getting woken up or having to like take some extra time off of um, uh, regular working hours because of like being woken up in the middle of the night or early in the morning for uh, handling an incident. So um, basically, uh, yeah, as a result, it feels that my, um, my quantity of chess studying hours varies, but Despite all that, I still always commit to a couple hours each week with my with my two coaches. So that hmm. never um, that never really changes uh, from week to week. Um, the core of my um, training involves uh, doing online um, 
tactics puzzles as well as um, puzzle um, uh, puzzles, uh, puzzle storm and puzzle rush on um, Lee Chess and Chess.com respectively. Okay. Um, do you do? But um, I feel that like uh, I need to, and of course, there's also uh, quite a bit of hours sprinkled in with um, opening uh, review and preparation, as well as um, as well as annotating my own games from my tournaments, which I have committed myself to doing after every tournament I play before and before I do my lessons with my coaches, so that when my coaches arrive for my lessons and uh, we dive into game analysis session time, then they know some backstories to um, what I've thought about during certain key points of games so that they can uh, so that they can make their feedback and their comments uh, accordingly. Nice. And when you say annotate your games, do you use an engine at all? Or is this just Megan's mind and then go to your coaches and then they help you out and maybe an engine at the end? Or are you right away with the engine? Um, so I uh, initially uh, start out by going through my games without the engine first and putting in whatever comments I have. Then I uh, turn the engine on and then um, start like uh, comparing some moments and, uh, and or also verifying to make sure that I didn't miss any large moments. If I did miss any large moments, and by large moments, I mean like, let's say points in the game where the evaluation swings from like minus 0.2 to like, plus eight then, uh, and if I didn't yet notate anything about that moment in my analysis session, then I turn the engine back off and I go like, hmm, what the heck is going on? And then that <laughs> makes me kind of um, do like, a, that, that makes me tempted to like do a second round of it. Yeah, that makes sense. And then you're probably then also after, thinking- um, Whatever analysis I um, have the time to do and like go through with this uh, routine, then I, um, you know, keep my coaches posted whenever I uh, send them my games and also when I keep it, when I update my annotations. And then, um, so I do whatever I can before my lessons. And then during the lessons, my coaches uh, discuss uh, the, discuss their own opinions and as well as the comments that I left for myself in my analysis. And they also, um, they also uh, reference me with some uh, related master games that have, similar openings uh for my games and then do you go through those master games after the lessons um well we actually spend some time um during uh, during the lessons doing that hmm. how long are these so lessons i always find that refreshing because then like it gives me um <clears throat> more gives me more ideas to consider in certain opening lines as a result nice and how long are your and lessons? that's particularly um beneficial for razor sharp openings which basically define the um, core of my playing style and uh, why I enjoy playing chess every day. Nice. So you like, you like sharp openings? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's why I um, brand the hashtag team slay on my Twitter profile. It is never coming off and uh, long live team slay. Interesting. So let's see by, by sharp openings, are we talking like Nidorf or what are we talking about? Yes, yeah, so I have a couple secret? examples. So, um, well, first and foremost, I will say I play E4 as white. So um, I feel that like it's also very hard to change or very hard to get rid of if I ever want to consider adding new openings to my repertoire. And um, there are quite a uh, quite a few things that uh, I feel um, there are quite a uh, quite a few uh, openings that I feel are uh, very particularly fun because uh, they teach you the um, value of initiative over uh, material. So um, the importance of uh, gaining strategical or positional or initiative-based compensation um, in exchange for material. Um, uh, there are a couple, uh, some of which include um, quite a diverse array of uh, gambit openings. Oh, nice. Okay. And when you're learning openings, is it just through your coaches? Do you have videos? Do you use Chessable? Do you have some books? What, what kind of resources do you rely on? I mean, we use Chessbase, uh, my coaches, of course, and uh, whatever prep files that they send me, as well as the um, Lee Chess Master Database. I really find the Lee Chess Master Database particularly helpful because the user interface is super simple and clean and straightforward. Uh, very easy to use, very easy for a newbie to figure out. And uh, it's just also very easy to be able to click through the games and even like add them to the studies feature. 
on yeah. VHS. And that's that's one of, that's also one of the defining features that kept me um, going back to VHS whenever I um, uh, whenever I want to organize my uh, study materials. And uh, I'm never leaving it. Interesting. All right. So, quick question: If you had to choose between Lee Chess Studies and Chess Base, what would you pick? I would say um, Lee Chess Studies. The reason for this is because um, you don't have to uh, you don't have to rely on viewing them from just one specific computer. On Chess Base, uh, well, you can. Uh, yeah, whatever files you save just get saved to like a particular computer. On Leechess, you can access the internet from any device, whether it's a cell phone or um, a, or an Apple MacBook Pro or a Windows PC laptop, and yeah. uh, you can access the same stuff. That's one of, that's one key benefit that uh, keeps bringing me back to Leechess and its mobile um, app. Both, uh, both for mobile web and for native mobile app on um, iOS and I'm sure Android too, as I've seen from some friends, Android phones. It's very, gotcha. very nice, very clean interface, not confusing, not, um, not too cluttered or um, uh, not too much, uh, not, not like a scenario of too much icing on the cake. Yeah. It just I, works well. I've struggled to get into chess base. Like I've, I bought, I got it for my birthday and I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a real chess player and use chess base and after about 20 seconds i was like okay we're gonna wait till summer when i have more time to figure this out i'll just use mm -hmm. my elite chess studies which are extremely straightforward but i don't hate chess base i mean chess base is still great because i think that um well for one thing i think that one pro that it has over over uh Lee chess is that I think its master game database is much larger than Lee chess's and i feel that like one of the main drawbacks of Lee Chess is that it's a uh, master master game database it could use use some more love and have some more games. Yeah, totally agree with that. I also love that chess base, at least the one I got, has so many annotated games in it. It's amazing by you know mm -hmm. like yeah top level Absolutely. players playing their own games. So that, that's pretty amazing. Um, have you used Chessable at all? Have you thought about using that move trainer technology in memorizing the moves or do you are you able to just pick it up through the studies and it's not an issue for you? Um, I have mostly been uh, picking up with the Lee Chess studies, but I, uh, I've used Chessable briefly before. Um, not like very frequently, unfortunately, but I wish I, uh, I wish I used it more because um, I have a lot of friends who are raving about how uh, convenient <laughs> it is as a source to be able to uh, to, to do to do a repertoire training and uh I guess, does it help with like memorization and stuff too? Yeah, at least that's yeah. the goal with it. Definitely. Um, of course, the problem is at lower ratings, um, you memorize your moves and then your opponent goes, but what if I make this wrong move? And then you're like, oh, well, that is not what I memorized. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the memorizing right. of the good moves is very helpful. Of course. <laughs> um. I saw a, a post you put out recently on Twitter that you broke the top 100 women in the U.S. Uh, that's amazing. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. What, uh, how did you feel when you found that out? Was that something you knew or did you just like bring up the page one that day? Was and something you were like, that I really what? wanted to achieve for a long time because um, back when uh, I was, even back when I was a lower class player, lower rated class player, like in the C range or something, I have constantly always monitored like how the top women in the in the country are doing. And uh, mm -hmm. I was noticing that the 100th place cutoff seems to be somewhere around like the mid to low 1900s or so. And so I was like, oh my God, I really want that to be a major milestone for me. Not just yeah. barely scream 1900, but like get to like a solid 19 uh, point within the 1900s range to be able to like crack that at some point in my life. And so I managed to do that after um, two super good tournaments in a row, uh, one fee, if one, FIDE rated tournaments in um, Minnesota at the uh, Chess Castle of Minnesota. And uh, that was specifically only open to 1800 plus USCF or above. Mm -hmm. And uh, another tournament back at home in Chicago, which was the Chicago Chess Center, uh, Jane Addams Memorial. I had good performances in both of those tournaments. And that actually that propelled me for like, I think almost 100 points in the span of wow. those two tournaments. And uh, that that luckily enough for me, that um, 1939 post-event rating that I had after the December um, 2020 
uh, one uh, CCC Jane Adams Memorial was um, prior to the third Wednesday cutoff for December. And so that gave me a 1939 um, supplement rating for uh, January of 2022, which uh, gave me um, a spot on the um, top women's list. That's awesome. Do you feel like you did anything different to kind of prep for these two tournaments or was it just kind of that Uh, natural? No, not in particular. As a matter of fact, um, well, not only did I feel that like my calculation skills were feeling uh, in a very inspired state, um, but I think fortunately also to to my style, um, I got a lot of uh, Team Slay style exciting chess from the openings that I got. Hmm. Um, and, uh, I also did not manage my time too badly in those tournaments either. So I think that that was a very key, uh, key factor in helping me, um, win, win games that was not, that I was supposed to win and not screw up games in which like I was winning or better at first, then I blunder into a draw or a loss because of time trouble. Um, and, uh, that, that is something that I feel, um, has always been, an obstacle for me, in addition to um, my super sharp repertoire, which some, which oftentimes um, at certain moments can make my rating look, my rating graph look like a crazy giant roller coaster um, going up and down, even though mm-hmm. I know where I feel that like my real chess knowledge is at mm-hmm. uh, because of like my crazy, my crazy attacking style and, uh, and offbeat sharp style and also um, my clocks and my, my clock habits. And the reason for my clock habits is mostly because um, ever since I got back into chess as an adult, I was always fascinated by just like studying the board um, without rushing. And so um, Blitz has never really been my thing. I try to play Blitz games every once in a while um, when I can, but uh, I just never really found much uh, uh, much time to most of the time. Okay. I feel so because, um, I mean, I feel non-zero Blitz is definitely better than um, very little to no Blitz. And definitely also on the flip side, better than um addictive blitz where you play like 100 blitz games every day yeah I can, I can agree and with without that. like reviewing a single one of them yeah um it sounds like you play quite a bit of over the board chess are you playing like every other weekend or something um i don't always play every other weekend there are, there have been some um periods where i've taken like two weekends off in a uh, off in a row but generally speaking i try to target at least like um, two or three tournaments per month, uh, okay. most of the time. That's I wouldn't great. say four though. <laughs> so scratch the at least part because four tournaments in a month would be crazy. <laughs> That's too much. Okay. Um, That's too however, much. I do uh, with these tournaments. Um, not only am I trying to just you know personally play and feel a great um, a, a great weight of satisfaction in getting interesting positions for my games. I'm also on a, a on a quest to try to um, complete the 50 states map. Mm. I want to eventually, at some point, uh, cross uh, all 50 states off my list for playing chess. That's amazing. Have you done the Alaska tournament yet? I don't know if there is one. There has no, no Alaska tournaments yet. No Hawaii <laughs> tournaments yet. Okay. But um, at the current moment, I'm looking at some upcoming tournaments this spring in. Uh, Arkansas and Montana, for instance, and those states are not like as uh, buzzingly busy as uh, Illinois or, um, let's say, uh, Pennsylvania or California or Texas, Mm -hmm. for example, in terms of finding trust tournaments. Yeah. Or, or, or more specifically, finding um, long time control trust tournaments that make them like actually more worth traveling to. Yeah, I imagine if you travel to the Montana one. You'll be the only person from Chicago, right? Yeah. Like, what is happening? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's really cool. So have you just really enjoyed traveling? Is this this is something, is this a newer thing? Have you always loved to travel? I've always loved to travel. Um, but unfortunately, I never um, had the chance to when I was a kid because, well, um, my home life back then was unfortunately under... I'm not going to go into it like that deeply, but let's just say this like very strict um, restrictions on like what I could do in my free time. And that unfortunately did not make traveling very friendly. Gotcha. Yeah. I am hoping to be uh, an older person that when I retire, I, I do some world traveling for chess. I'd love to go, you know, it's like 
uh, France and oh yeah, but there are so many countries in the world that it's like um, it'll be yeah. like a super mission to try to, <laughs> uh, as an American chess player, play chess in all fifty U.S. states and all one hundred percent of the countries to exist in this world. Like, I mean, yeah. can you find a chess? For example, can you find a chess tournament in um, I don't know Greenland or Antarctica? <laughs> yeah, that is definitely not my goal. I just want to play in a couple cool places. <laughs> Okay. Well, uh, I'd say uh, I noticed in one of your posts recently that you talked about how you feel like there's just a lot more kids today and less adults post COVID. We talked about this a little bit, but do you have any mm -hmm. thoughts on why that is? Do you think it's just people haven't come back yet? Do you think it's that kids are stronger now and have more access? I I'm trying to wrestle with this myself. Where are all these kids coming from? Yeah, so um, first of all, I think that um, the current day's uh, American chess uh, programs seem to be very heavily targeted towards uh, scholastic players. And I know that like a huge majority of summer chess camps have been kids only, no adults. There are some adult camps, but sadly not many, and I wish that there were more. Also, another thing that I think uh, is... Uh, probably can, can be something to um, work on on the adult encouragement side of the chess community is um, uh, is finding more balance between beginner tournaments for scholastic players and also beginner tournaments for adult players. Usually when we hear the term beginner or novice tournaments in the chess community, we often think uh, uh, we often think scholastic. And sadly, it's true. Many of those such tournaments that are like, say, under 1,200, under 1,000, under 800, they don't welcome adult players. They only allow scholastic players. And um, that's, uh, that can be pretty disparaging for uh, a lot of like new beginners who want to like um, get into the game if they uh, may have like, if they have, have picked up interest in um, getting, uh, getting into chess thanks to the Queen's Gambit especially. <laughs> Yeah, I remember when I started out, I was about a thousand and I showed up mm. and the only place was the local club and everyone was over 1600. Oh, yeah, I just and got also, smashed in addition every week. to um, in, in addition to the um, heavy emphasis on scholastic programs, I think maybe COVID might have like um, also been a major fa factor, like, for example, older people less willing to um, take risks for obvious like health related reasons. And so basically just not yeah. wanting to attend larger gathering public events, chess tournaments being um, an example of those. Um, and, or also, I guess like older adults just being less, uh, uh, being like more resistant to um, change. And one big noticeable change is like having to wear masks in the at the tournament. Yeah, I, I especially think if you, work from home or you're retired and you don't wear a mask that often it must be a oh huge yeah yeah i finally remember that. also when i was trying to um play my first mask required um tournament covid style in um october of 2020 i remember there was also another downer moment for my chest progress and my rain progress where i quickly dropped from like I think mid to low 1800s to 1700s. I took a couple of tournaments um, also to get back up from there because I was trying to get used to the mask thing. And uh, back then I like very, very, very seldom went out. Um, I worked from home um, for my yeah. job as an engineer and um, for groceries, I never even went to the grocery store at all. I just um, <laughs> ordered them online for yep. delivery. Yep. And um, when I whenever I wanted to get food from a restaurant, I never did carry out; just did Uber Eats or Grubhub delivery. So there we go. That's the life of someone who was not used to wearing a mask back then. Yeah, that's for sure. Like I played in my first over the board tournament in months uh, a few Tuesday nights ago, and it was no problem wearing the mask just because I'm used to it as a teacher wearing it all day. Mm -hmm. uh, but I could see some other people were kind of like, ah. This mask thing is really annoying. So this was interesting. Yeah, but I got used to it because like, well, I mean, these days it's, uh, it feels like, unfortunately it's the new normal, but unfortunately yeah. it makes these tournaments um, tolerable and still able to operate, which is a lot better than um, completely dying and not operating at all. Yeah, for sure. Th this club that I played at, it was two Tuesdays ago was the first time they've been open since COVID. So it was, it was really interesting. Oh, yeah? like which club is that? Uh, it's the Santa Monica Bay Chess Club. Ooh, yeah, nice. it's pretty amazing. It was 30 people on a Tuesday night. I was like, what is happening? This is this is fantastic. So 
must be um, a boom from the Queen's Gambit, maybe? I think so. And people just, you know, wanting to get out and play and having not having the opportunity. So, oh, I see. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Well, Megan, it has been a great chat. Uh, so interesting to hear your ups, your downs, your attacking play style. I'm a little bit afraid of you now. I don't, I don't think <laughs> I want to meet you over the chessboard. Uh, <laughs> but thanks so much for coming on. I look forward to keeping track of your journey, which I now can just by looking at the uh, top 100 women ratings list. And I can just see you climb up that list. And I'm sure we'll all be rooting for you to keep climbing. And let's not forget Twitter. Um, of course. And let's not forget uh, chess punks. And let's not forget Team Slay. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming on. It was a really great conversation. Um, to everyone else out there, have a great week. I hope your journey is a great one. I hope you make all the rating gains you want this week. And if you don't, that's okay. The plateau is the norm. We're all working hard. We're all trying to get better. And I will see you all next week.